As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. Welcome back to another episode. How are y'all doing out there, Jess? ¿Qué pasa? Dímelo. <laughs> Estoy bien. Oh, Estoy girl, aquí en la practice. casa. Uh, girl, I was talking to your mom. <laughs> Mommy's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Estoy aquí con papi. Here's a photo. She's like, oh, me encanta. <laughs> She's always like, just send me pictures of the dog. I'm like, oh, my God. My mom is a stalker. She'd be stalking all my friends. She'd be stalking me. No, she's so cute. She's like, send me pictures of your family. What are y'all doing? She's like, I love your family. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, mom. I'm like, how y'all doing in quarantine? She's like, estamos aquí en la casa. <laughs> yep. Anyways. Sounds about right. Yeah. She's a mess. Anyway, so I'm excited about today's episode. Me too. So Diane Bondi is a social justice activist, an author, accessible yoga teacher, and she's the leader of the Yoga for All movement. We loved our conversation with Diane. We covered so much. First, just what are the specific things that she does to make her yoga practice more accessible? We both wish we lived where she lives in Canada so we could attend all of her classes. She also talks about the idea of joyful movement. What does that mean? How do we reshift moving from like controlling our weight and shape to just like having fun? And she gives tips on creating consistency because we know that, you know, movement is healthy for us, our mental health, our physical health, and different options for folks who want to be more spontaneous or those who kind of like structure and routine. But before we jump in, I want to encourage you all to leave us a review on iTunes want to shout out Key Parkman, who left this really thoughtful review. Fellow RD here, I appreciate Wendy and Jess so much and the topics they choose to include on this podcast that go beyond nutrition, but most certainly are related to our health. They offer information and a conversation that is useful and inclusive for both professionals and novices and everyone in between. Thank you, Wendy and Jess. Thank Aww. you for that really sweet review. And before you forget, you better open up that phone right now okay leave us some stars okay. if you have an extra minute throw in some words in there some kind words and yeah we'll really appreciate it so you ready to get started Jess? let's jump in welcome to the podcast diane thank you for having me wendy i can't tell you how excited i am to be here it's uh, really important to me to connect with black women and women of color and wellness because i i feel like we're severely underrepresented underestimated and just not seen, quite frankly. So I got to tell you, I was really excited to be able to connect with somebody that looks like me. 
Yes, especially now. We were just having this conversation how there's been all of these interview requests, mostly by white people to be on their platform. And Jess and I have decided in the weeks moving forward that we're only going to have black people on because we're just feeling very overwhelmed Mm -hmm. (laughs) by everything that's going on. And I know you've been doing a lot of interviews lately. So how have you been feeling with everything that's happening? I have mixed feelings. I do these interviews because I want to call white people. What is the word we're using up? I usually call them out. I know people like to use that language, but I'm older and I I believe in the call to the carpet, call for accountability. I'm not really feeling fragile feelings right now. So I'm just telling it like it is because I've been tiptoeing around for a long time. And now when I'm requested for these interviews, I'm like, I'm just going to be real with you. And so I've had a ton of requests. I'm very selective. I pick and I choose because I feel sometimes that you're just kind of being used to validate that perhaps Mm -hmm. I'm not racist or I believe in diversity or whatever. So I've really been selective about who I want to align with and do my research. I do want the white audience to understand our suffering. And I do want white people to understand that when you invite us to your platforms and we do the labor of trying to educate you, it comes at a cost like a traumatic cost to us because we're being re-traumatized every time we have to tell these stories and every time we have to convince you of our humanity and your new awakening to our humanity, as great as that is, I hope to God that this is a shift forward and you're not going to get bored in six months and go back to not caring about black lives. And when I say black lives matters, you come at me with, you know what the other ones are. I'm not even going to say them. I'm really hoping when I go on platforms that are hosted by white folks, that these are allies that are really interested in doing the work. I also choose platforms that are very large because I want people to hear the message, right? Mm -hmm. So as much as we're not really in this together and we've never really been in this together, it's time for us to get in it together because people need to do their work as well. And that's, that's why I'm here. I'm I'm a bit of a call out, out, call out queen. I'm not a cancel queen. I want to call you in and I want you to pay attention. I'm not going to cancel you if you make a mistake, but if you keep making the mistake over and over and over again, then I'm going to have to move on because you're traumatizing me now. So. Hmm. Yeah. And like just having to talk about these things over and over again with white people, what have you been doing to preserve your energy and your sanity? Because I could only imagine how draining it's been, especially these past few weeks. It's like a lot. It's a lot. I said to my husband the other day, I like kind of sequester myself. And I have two sons who are 13 and 15, who are also navigating this. So not only am I being pulled here to help white people identify their feelings, blah, blah. You know what it is. And then I also have to (laughs) unpack stuff for my kids. So I've been taking a lot of self-care. I'm a pretty active person. Since January, I made some goals. So I've been running. That's what I've been doing. I'm running. I put my headphones on. I put my sunglasses on. Please don't talk to me. I'm running. And (laughs) (laughs) if, if you say hi to me and I don't say anything to you, you get your feelings hurt. Mm, too bad. This is my time. Like I really make sure it's my time. And there's a lot of people out there who want to spend time with me while I'm running or want to run with me. And I'm really selective about those who those people are. I run with people who, you know, are helping me in my self-care, who motivate me, who I can have real conversations with. 
so I'm doing a lot of that and my yoga practice is really good and helping me work through the trauma and I'm sleeping a lot. Like when I'm not good. on these calls, I'm sleeping a lot and taking naps. We're not going anywhere for the foreseeable future. So we decided that we would upgrade our backyard. So I bought like a mm. sectional for my backyard Ooh. and I got plants and, you know, I got some wine and, you know, Ooh, and I'm, yes. just, I'm sitting in the yard. <laughs> Living, watching RuPaul's Drag Race and Legendary, this new show on HBO called Legendary and just taking all the cultural things that reaffirm me as a Black woman, that reaffirm Blackness. And that's what I'm doing to replenish, right? Do you watch Pose? I do. (laughs) (laughs) Season two is on Netflix, (laughs) Right? I do. I do watch Pose. We we recently got, I think that his Pose is so well done. I had to wait a long time because I'm in Canada and Netflix Canada is slightly different from Netflix in the States. We don't always um, get all the stuff you get. And so I had to wait a long time for Pose. And then when it came, I was like, nobody talked to me for the next like two days. Right. I, <laughs> I think I watched it all in two days also. Right. Um, so I just like went after the other of the other. Let yeah. me get a snack. Come back. Let me get a snack. Come back. Right? <laughs> it was just a, it was a really good story. It's beautifully done. It's beautifully told. I'm invested in all of the characters. It's a time when I was around, like it's, you know, it's set in a, a, Mm -hmm. I think it's set in the eighties, if I remember correctly. And I remember some of the stuff from that time. And so it's really, I find it's really affirming and I'm all about being here for my LGBTQIA plus community and supporting all the work that allows actors who actually represent who they are as having actors who aren't part of the community represent the community. So agreed. Yeah. I want to support. I also wanted to comment on uh, what you said about when you're running and you have your headphones on, what is it that people don't understand? First of all, my headphones are, they're like, you guys can see how big, they're like this. I mean, these aren't the ones, but it's like, why are you asking me questions right now? Like I, then I have to like pause what I'm listening to. Like, huh? It's like everyone, headphones are universal. Like, don't talk to don't me. Talk don't to bother me. Especially me. the gym. Headphones and sunglasses. Headphones and sun- Like, my eyes are blocked and my headphones are on. I'm running. Right. And you're running. I'm walking, but still. It's like sometimes yeah. you just want to be in the zone. And that's actually a good segue <laughs> to the work <laughs> that you do. You know, I want to learn, like, how did you come into yoga? Mm. What was your experience like when you first started practicing? I also know the reason we reached out was because your approach is size inclusive and that is so mm-hmm. hard to find these days. Mm-hmm. So just tell us more about your history. I came to yoga a while ago. I'm old. My mom taught me yoga when I was three years old. So my parents are from Barbados and they emigrated to England to do their education. So my mom went to nursing school and my dad became a trades person in England. And then there was a posting both where they were training to come to Canada as tradespeople, like they needed people in Canada to do stuff. So Canada had opened its immigration to everybody. So my parents ended up emigrating to Canada in the late sixties. And then I was born uh, in 1970. And my mother was at home with three babies under the age of four and just like stressed out because there was no family. We were living somewhere that was really rural, which is now a thriving metropolis in the greater Hamilton, Toronto area. But at the time, there were no people of color. There were no black people. There wasn't a lot for her to do and she didn't have any family connections. So she had had this book that she had been traveling with for a while that I actually have in my bookshelf behind me called uh, Be Young with Yoga. So it was something that my mother could do while we were sleeping or while we were in the house. Like she couldn't leave us because we were too young to be left alone. When my brother and sister who were twins would go to 
sleep or take their afternoon nap. And right before general hospital started at three o'clock, because I'll never forget, my mother had to watch her stories. We would sit down for half an hour and go through the pictures in this book and do the poses together. And it was just for my mom, a bit of exercise because she would take us for a walk and then she would come back and do these poses. And then we, she would watch tea. She would watch general hospital because it was 30 minutes, three to three 30. And then she would make dinner and kind of morph back into motherhood mode. Um, my mom's a nurse. So she took like her self care and her health, like very seriously. So it was something that she imparted on me. And so we practiced together for most of my life. And it just kind of evolved from doing these poses with my mother to seeking out spaces, to take yoga. But for the most part, in the beginning of my yoga practice, I was self-taught by just books and taking out books at the library. And I didn't actually step into a yoga, like a serious yoga space until I was about six weeks postpartum with my second son that I uh, had had two babies, boom, boom, back to back and was feeling like probably like how my mother felt like, whoa, too much. And so I remember my partner saying to me, you know what, I'm good. I can handle this. You can take a class. And it was really great. He actually looked the class up and said, please go to this class. Like, I just need you to leave the house. Everybody needs you to leave the house. (laughs) And so uh, I ended up going to a yoga studio space and being treated pretty poorly, actually, by Mm. the person who was signing me in. And then by the person who was teaching the class and had that had been my very first experience of yoga, I would have never gone back because I felt othered because I was fat or in a plus size body or however people choose to identify. I like to think of myself as abundant. Yes, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And black, I felt like those were two things that were like sticking out. And of course, I was the only person of size and color in the class. And I felt some kind of way because I hadn't had a public experience of yoga. I'd had only a personal experience of yoga. And that was my first public experience. And I came home and was, you know, (laughs) not feeling great about myself. And I said to my husband, if I had a yoga studio, I would do it differently. I would treat people differently. This would not be the experience I would want people to have. It was always my intention that people left my class feeling better about themselves and their body when they left. And so I decided to start running yoga classes in my local church. Like I just rented out the church hall. I told my friends I was doing yoga and everyone was like, what's that? And I'm like, just come, just come and see. I had taken my yoga experience with my mother and my books and what I had learned on my own. And I had taken fitness instruction when I was in high school. And then when I was in university, I, you know, I dabbled in fitness instructing. I worked as a fitness instructor at my university. And so I put those two modalities together and I created this like functional fitness. So it's kind of like a modern day high yo. So it was a little bit of Pilates, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of strength training. And I put it together and people just loved it. And so I started off with like 12 students at the church that turned into 50 students that turned into 200 students. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was really, it was over the course of, I, I think it was at the church for six years. I ended up having to move into a standalone building because I just couldn't accommodate all these people who were interested in what I was sharing and teaching. I remember I went to a conference and, and my husband came with me and he was like talking to my yoga teacher at the time, because during the course of those six years, I'm like, Hmm, maybe I should go take some yoga teacher training because all these people want to take yoga for me. And maybe I should know more than I know. You know, I'm reading constantly. I'm taking weekend workshops constantly, taking week-long immersions constantly, but I hadn't taken that full 200 hours. So I felt a little bit like an imposter. So I thought maybe I should go do this 200 hours. And I ended up going over to Detroit and taking my 200 hours 
with uh, Linda Makowski at Namaste, who's actually retiring really soon. And she had the most diverse yoga group. We had a person who was missing a limb, who was a single amputee. We had people of size. We had people of color. We had people from the LGBTQ community. So my first 200 hour teacher training was everybody. Her, her studio was really reflective of that as well. So I decided that I would make it my goal to practice there as much as I could to have that experience so that when I came back to my studio space, I could recreate that same experience here. And so uh, we ended up opening up a space in a lower income neighborhood. I wanted to be really visible. We were on a bus line. I was happy to do satellite classes anywhere people needed them. I did a lot of mommy and me classes, anything that would get people to the mat and make it accessible. I had sliding scale pricing. I was doing all this before this was kind of the norm. Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of started on my yoga journey. And it just kind of grew from there. It was just one of those things. (laughs) Wow. That's so inspiring because I know a lot of people relate to your experience and just like walking into a yoga studio. I can't tell you how many times I've been in these yoga classes and the instructors are like, who's ready for that summer body? Who's ready to whatever? And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? I absolutely hate that. Like anytime there's a reference to get your bathing suit body, I'm like, I already have it. I'm going to put my body in bathing suit. I'm going to go to the pool or wherever. Like I don't need to get ready. And I'm just like, what in the world? This is a yoga class. Like what is happening? I've had like similar experiences, just feeling really out of place and feeling like it's like a skinny white girl's thing. Totally. And so I know you said you focus on like inclusivity, especially with like people that have different abilities, people from different cultural backgrounds. So what are some of the things that you incorporate into your classes now that make it a more inclusive space? I'm really careful not to have a lot of like, spiritual iconography in my classes. Although as I sit here and you can see my, uh, <laughs> my shocker, <laughs> woman I just want you to know that she's a brown girl. And okay. she's got long hair. I, I kind of think she's me. I kind of think she's me. That's why I like that picture. But I, I'm, I, first of all, one of the things that I found was really important for letting people know that this was a space where everyone was welcome was in my advertising. So I put my picture front and center as a plus size person. And I do remember when somebody calling the studio and asking me what classes I thought would be good for them. And I would say, okay, let's go. Are you available? Are you on a laptop? And they're like, I'm on my computer. I go, let's open my website and let's go through the schedule and see what I think would work with your schedule just to, cause you're new. And I want you to feel familiar with the classes. When we both opened the website, she saw me and she's like, oh my God, the person on your website looks like me. And I said, that is me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Huge for her to see a woman of color in a body of size sitting in front of her to know that, okay, maybe I can do this too. Oh, can I bring my husband? And then on the next slide, there's, you know, people, there's men in here and men of size in here. So that was one thing was to disrupt the constant imagery that yoga bodies were white, were young, uh, were hypermobile, we're doing mm-hmm. acrobatic yoga, we're doing performative yoga, as I like to call it, where we're yes. doing- Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> I went to a yoga class, literally, the woman was on a headstand for 20 minutes and like, she wasn't even the instructor. She was just a participant and <laughs> oh, the instructor no. who was a black woman was like, you're being disrespectful right now. You're literally in the front of the class doing a headstand. I was just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, like so performative. Yeah. Like, look at me, look 
look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that makes people feel bad because they're like, well, maybe I'm not there. So, you know, then I don't need to be coming anymore (laughs) because this isn't for me. People don't realize that when you do too much, like other people who aren't there, it makes them second guess themselves. And that was the thing that I always, always said. And when I teach, I teach 200 hour teacher trainings, I'm like, no showboating you, especially as the teacher don't come out. We know you're attracted. A lot of people are attracted to to teach this practice because they are flexible because a lot of teachers will have a background in dance and gymnastics and all these other things. So they're easy to kind of like flip around the mat. Like it's no big deal. And they'll come to class and be offering you these poses. And I'm like, you and about 3% of the population can do that. And the rest of us are like, we, why would I need to do that? I don't need to do that. Right. And so it was really important for me to show up as myself and not be performative and show them that you could do this too. Another thing that I wanted to make it inclusive is in my language, right? And offering a lot of intro to yoga. That was the thing that built my studio is constantly running six week consecutive intro to yogas so that people knew, oh, I'm new great. Oh, there's an intro class. Okay. So I can start at the beginning and not feel like you're coming into a class at five 30. That's a power vinyasa two or whatever people are calling it. And now, now you're in the back going, Oh, I don't belong here because you can't keep up with this high energy flow or whatever it is. So it was really, it was really important to me to offer a lot of yoga basics, a lot of intro to yoga, a lot of different kinds of yoga classes so that people could ask questions. That was the other thing I really wanted. I would come to the front of the room and say, I'm not here to monologue throughout this entire practice. I want you to ask me questions. My name is Diane. And if something hurts or if something doesn't feel right or you're struggling, my job is to be here to help you through the process, to show you what your own power is, to show you what your body can do, to help you celebrate what your body can do. That's why I'm here. So don't be afraid to ask me a question. I'll be walking around. If you feel like it's going to be disruptive, you can eye me, you can wave at me or whatever, and I'll discreetly come over because I don't ever want to center anybody out either. But I was always trying that. I was always in my like hair salon and talking to my girlfriends and going and putting my cards out everywhere to make sure people understood, you know, that you could come to. And that was a big part of making my space inclusive. And I recently had a come to Jesus or whoever moment, uh, wherever you are on that spectrum about inclusivity, because it really feels like I have something that I might include you and I might include you and I might include you around that word inclusivity. And I really wanted it to be, this is a community space and anybody is welcome. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to do that. This is not an exclusive space. So I wanted to flip the script on that a little bit. This is not exclusive. This is for everybody. Oh, I love everything that you said. I wish I lived near you so I could come to your (laughs) classes because that sounds exactly like what I need and what I'd be into. I I'm curious, like I kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about this quarantine and (laughs) we have, there's just been so much. We had a podcast episode just about kind of navigating everything going on with, with quarantine in general, and also why people shouldn't be worried about weight gain during quarantine. Um, Oh yeah. And, but still people, and you know, most of my clients are like, Oh my God, all this pressure to kind of exercise all the time. (laughs) I'm just curious, like, how do we navigate this? You know, my, what I've been saying all through quarantine, I say, if you gain weight during quarantine, you are privileged and blessed mm, because that right. means, that's a good way to look at listen, it. Listen, That means you are comfortable. That means you feel good. That means you have enough to eat. Like 
I think that's a privilege and a blessing to gain weight during, during quarantine. That, that means you survived it. Like there's so many things that I heard that all the time. And I saw a body, a body, I'm going to do that in quotes. I saw a body positive fitness instructor. I think they would call themselves or nutritionists or whatever it was they were calling themselves talking about the COVID-15. Well, if you follow my program, I didn't gain the COVID-15 and I'm like, is this what we're worrying about? People are actually dying and people are in abusive relationships sequestered in quarantine. These are the things that we should be worrying about. I say to everybody, and I posted this several times on my social media platforms, if all you're worried about is gaining weight in quarantine, you are living your best life Mm. and enjoy your life now, right? Like, come on now. I must admit though, I'm easily bored and that's a problem for me. So I was doing a lot of like 10 minute workouts on my channel, but they were 10 minute accessible workouts. They were, I called them joyful movement. We are not here seeking any kind of aesthetic. Some of us can't go outside and are a little squirrely, you know? And so we need to just move in unison for the sake of moving, right? Just for the joy of moving. And that was always my intention. And that really resonated with my followers and my people that, you know, I'm not here dieting. I'm just out here doing something because Otherwise, I'm gonna. I just need to burn off this energy. You probably can tell from our interview. I'm full of energy. Like, <laughs> like I need to do something with it. Or my kids are like, "Mom, mom, mom, you're driving me crazy." Right? So I. But yeah, I really feel like I had. I went for a walk slash run with my girlfriend this morning, and she's a fitness instructor, and she's been on her body positive journey as well. She just finished my 200 hour teacher training. And she said, the gym is only hiring back people who were serious about their fitness during quarantine. So Mm. I thought that was awful. And she said, because I'm of a certain age, she says, I aspire to, you know, make people feel good. I just want people to celebrate their bodies. But because I don't look like these people who I don't know, got shredded for lack of a better term over quarantine, I'm not being considered for wow. new classes. And that broke my heart because there's still a lot of that sentiment in the fitness industry that needs to be unpacked because it's not, it's not helpful. It's not useful. It doesn't serve. And if anything, it makes people feel about bad about themselves. Move because it feels joyful, not because you're seeking an aesthetic. We need to change the reason behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I speak to that all the time. And I talk to that about in my classes all the time. And I say it right at the front right at the get-go. Let me be 100% clear on who I am. I like to work out because I like to move and I don't even like to call it working out. I like to call it joyful movement because that's what it is. I'm just out there for the joy of it. I need some fresh air. I need to get away from my kids. I need to get away from my husband. I need to get away from my computer. I need to stop staring at a screen and I just need to look at flowers. Like if you saw me running, I'd be like, just like yesterday, I'm like, what kind of tree? I stop and I take a picture of a tree. What kind of tree is that? And then I'm on Instagram. And say, I know what kind of tree this is. I want to plant it in my yard. That I'm out there for the joy of the experience. I'm not out there trying to do anything else. Mm, I love that. Like reframing what movement looks like and what exercise looks like. Because I think especially now it feels very forced because yeah. people are like, oh my God, I'm home. I'm eating. I have to like figure out a way to like whatever, balance this yeah, out. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, people are forcing themselves to like create a home gym and like to do all these things. And I'm even thinking about like for people trying to figure out, okay, like what is the kind of movement that works for me how do they go about that because I remember like when I was younger 
like maybe in my early 20s, I didn't want to do anything. Like I didn't want to go walking. I didn't want to go to the gym. I didn't want, I was just like, I don't want to do any movement at all. I think because in my mind, I associated it with like the the fitness buffs and the gym. And I was just like completely blocked off to it. But now as I've gotten older, I've like through experimentation, I've kind of learned, okay, well, I prefer doing this. I prefer doing that. So how do, how do people come to that? How did you come to that to find out like, what do, what movement is good for me? You know, it's really interesting for a while. I was like exactly where you are probably in my early twenties when I first, like my, maybe my second or my third year of college, I was just kind of like, you know what kind of exercise I really like a good brisk sit. Like I, yeah. used, to say that <laughs> I used to say that all the time. I heard that somewhere and I was like, yeah, that, that aspires me. I want to do nothing. When I moved into it, I think a different residence, one of my, my housemates would go for a walk and she'd always be in a way better mood when she came back from her walk. Cause she was pretty miserable and stressed from school. She was in law school and she was stressed. And so one time she invited me to go on a walk with her and I thought, yeah, we'll just go on a walk and we'll like gossip about our other roommates. Right. And that was my, actually, that was my impetus for going on the walk. <laughs> <laughs> we get out on the walk and I thought, this is great. Like I never, I'm always running to campus and running home and running to campus, running home. I'm not out here just to be like, Oh, this is actually a cute neighborhood. No, if I decide to stay in this town, this wouldn't be a bad place to live. And, you know, just feeling so much better. The thing is I had to experiment. I knew that movement was good for my body because we're mammals and we're designed to move. And I just thought I need to figure out movement for the sake of movement, for the enjoyment of movement. So I'm just going to dabble in everything. And everything was just like, okay, I'm going to try going to Pilates. Maybe no. Okay. Let me try walking. Okay. Walking is good. I like it. I'm going to do that for a while. And then when I get bored, I, I think I mentioned I get bored easy. I'm like, oh, let me try running a little bit. I didn't die okay, all right, maybe I'll do a little bit more. And this is kind of how I play. Like for me, I would say to people who aren't sure what kind of movement is for them, be curious, like take a dance class to take a dance class. My girlfriend's teaching this thing called groove. And that's my new thing. She puts on a playlist and we just do whatever. Like there's no real instruction. She might say something like, hey, let's bring our hands up over our head and see how that feels. And I'm just in my, I put my headphones in, we crank the tunes. Oh, this is my jam. And I just, Love the feeling of just being free in my body with no attachment to anything but being in the present moment. And there's just nothing more like powerful than that. For me, it was the disconnection of movement from diet culture. That was the hardest sutra to sever was that I could just move just for the joy of it. And then I didn't have to move because I was burning off what I ate or, you know, all that stuff that we've been trained to believe. Mm -hmm. And just, and that was true for food too. I could eat it just cause dang it. I liked it and I wanted it. And this, this was a whole new world for me. This is a recent understanding for me. When I finally clicked that I could move just because it was fun. I was just like, wow. Okay. I want to try stand up paddleboarding. Okay. Just because, okay. I want to try this. Okay. I want to try this. And I would just try everything until I found the thing that I loved. 
I love everything you said. And also just kind of defining what joyful movement is and that it's all about curiosity, because I do have a lot of clients when I bring up this conversation of joyful movement, they hadn't necessarily thought about it before. And then they realized like, wait a minute, the workouts I'm doing, I actually don't enjoy at all. I hate them. And so it's a chance for them to, to like rediscover what it is that they actually like. So that was super helpful. I'm curious we know that movement is like good for our mental health, also good for our physical health. Do you mm. recommend, like, how do you recommend people develop consistency around exercise or do you even recommend consistency? Is it helpful to schedule things or is it just kind of when you're feeling in the mood? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a little bit of both. I'm a chronic scheduler and I want to make time to feel good. Do you know what I mean? Like feeling good is like, mm, this is like yesterday I didn't work out and my whole day was like, I was confused my whole day. I didn't understand <laughs> how much clarity that that created for me because it's part of my ritual of being a human. Like I get up in the morning, I just put on my running shoes and I either ride my bike or I go for a walk or I go for a run. And that's the first thing I do in the morning because I want to wake up. And I do it really early at this really magical time when the world is still quiet and, and people are just starting to wake up and the sun is just coming up and it's like super peaceful. And quite frankly, less people are out there that want to talk to me with my headphones and my sunglasses on. Yeah. <laughs> it feels very personal to me at that time. And then it sets my mood for the rest of the day. Cause then I come back and I've been with the sun and I've smelt some flowers. And this morning I took a picture. It used to be a garbage dump and it was, and they reclaimed it. And now it's this beautiful park with like million dollar homes around it. And I like to laugh to myself because I want to say to people, you know, 20 years ago, this was the dump, right? But now it's been like, you know, reimagined when my kids were little, they went on a tree planting thing there. So every time I walk by the path, I'm like, that's Nathan's tree, that's Dylan's tree. So I have a whole... I have a whole connection with nature and it really sets my tone. So I make that part of my priority ritual. So I have an assistant that helps schedule my life because it's a little bit bananas. So I block off between six and nine o'clock because, you know, sometimes I get up at six, sometimes I get up at seven, it's COVID. Sometimes I get up at eight. And so I block off those hours for my own personal time. So that's time mm -hmm. for me to go for a walk or ride my bike, or meditate, or do a yoga practice. Those are my hours. And I have to set that for myself because I'm one of these people who want to help everybody. And if I don't schedule that moment for myself, then I can't really help anybody effectively because I do feel cheated from my own time. I do start to get resentful from my own time. So that's particular to me and my personality, that might not work for somebody else. Other people might want to be spontaneous. Like, oh, I have half an hour at lunch. I'm going to go for a walk or, oh, you know what? We had dinner early tonight. I'm going to go for a walk or ride my bike. So that might work better for other people. But for me, self-care is a priority. I make it a priority. So I schedule it to make sure I have it because I'm just a happier person when I get some time to myself. And that's what it, that's just what it is. Time to myself. Mm -hmm. I'm the same exact way. Like in the morning, I'm like from this time to this time, I'm going to do the exercising, the meditation, whatever cleaning, which is like very peaceful for me too. It's like, it's blocked. And I think especially like when you're trying to create a routine, I think it's helpful to have 
some kind of structure because, you know, there's like just so much room to deviate from what the plan <laughs> that you set out for. So, yeah, I think I think it's helpful. But just I like what you said, too, about being flexible and kind of figuring out what your schedule is like and customizing it in a way that works for you and doesn't feel forced. Absolutely. It's not sustainable if it feels yeah. forced. It's just not. It's got to be something that makes you feel good, that you identify with, that brings you joy. Because right. if you're doing something that's not bringing you joy, it's not going to be sustainable. You're going to become resentful. You know, you're going to start like, oh, God. Right. Like another oh, thing God. to do. Yeah. And it's not, I don't believe we're here to struggle the whole time. I mean, life is a struggle. Let's, let's be clear, but I don't think we're supposed to be struggling the entire time. I think there's supposed to be moments of happiness and joy and discovery and love and all those things. And I think it don't, those things can only be fully realized if we take care of ourselves. A hundred percent agreed. Love all of that. I'm curious in terms of body image and body acceptance. Cause again, one of the reasons why people do these exercises that they don't enjoy mm. is because they're trying mm. to control their weight and shape. And it's probably yeah. really difficult to, to change that, right. Or to change their perception that they need to control their weight. So what are ways that people can work towards either body neutrality or body acceptance so that they can kind of, you know, accept who they are, respect who they are, and then be in a place to get to choose what they do movement wise that they actually enjoy? This was, this is a great question. And how I came to it for myself personally, is I had to acknowledge my ancestry. Hmm. So when I was growing up, I'm just for full disclosure, I'm like 50. So when I was growing up, the seventies was the time when we saw this boost in this, get fit, we're just back. Every, all the diet soda started then like tab was a big, so like all these things happened in the seventies in my coming of age when I was learning about myself. So I fully got sucked in to diet culture pretty early on. And then it just kept evolving kind of like white supremacy. It just keeps evolving and changing and gets sneaky into stuff. And so when I got pregnant with my first son, Nathan, that was a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm sharing a body with somebody else. So what are the best ways I can serve myself and him in the moment? And that helped me make peace with my body because my body was doing this incredible thing that I was so blown away by. Like everything about having a baby was so interesting to me. And then when I, you know, after that, what was the new way I could connect and look at my body? And then it was my ancestry. So yes, this is the ideal that society thinks everybody should look like. Like, for example, Victoria's Secret models, right? Are we all aspiring to be a Victoria's Secret model? Yeah, because that seems to be the predominant narrative. And we have black versions of Barbie and we have white versions of Barbie and all of them walk the catwalk at Victoria's Secret, which is actually the whole, that whole thing is shifting now as we see. But I, you know, to be a Victoria's Secret model, you can't be any shorter than I think five, nine, you have to have this waist and this bus size and whatever, whatever it is. And that represents like maybe, maybe 1% of the population, but the rest of us are held to the standard of this is what beauty should look like. And if you're not living up to this expectation, you're somehow failing when this is genetics. So my genetics dictates to me that based on my ancestry, that this is what I'm going to look like no matter what I do. Like my body's always going to shift its way back to this because this is my ancestry. These hips are what my grandma or great-grandma -grand, great or whoever gave to me. My eye color is that. It's years and years and decades 
hundreds of years of evolution has created this container that is perfect for me. And out of respect to my ancestry and the people who have allowed me to be me, who have brought me forward into the world, I want to honor this body as an extension of them and also as an extension of my divine self. And so that's the piece that I come to with my body. I can fight with my body all I want with dieting and exercise and all that, but it's always going to shift back to where it needs to be because mother nature and ancestry is way more powerful than the messages that media tells us that we have to look a certain way. I'm not interested in plastic surgery. I'm not interested in looking any way other than the way I am because my body is showing up for me the best way she knows how. And she is doing all the things that is to keep me alive. So she's actually showing me love by showing up authentically for me. So how do I do that for her? I loved everything that you said. That's so true in terms of honoring your ancestry and that we all can't be Victoria's Secret models. So why are we all trying and driving ourselves insane to do that? It just doesn't make any sense. And also it like, I think at the end of the day, like you said, let's find things that bring us happiness and peace and aren't, you know, fighting against our genetics. So I love all of those amazing tips. In closing, I'd love to know where can people find you online, um, learn more about the work that you're doing? Are you doing online classes? All of the above. You can check me out at Diane Bondi and there's two ends in Diane, D-I-A N-N-E, Bondi, B-O-N-D-Y, yoga.com. Uh, you can catch everything that I do there. I do, I have my own virtual website called yogaforeveryone.tv and you can link to it from there. I have a book called Yoga for Everyone. So you can also find it there. Seeing as I won't be traveling <laughs> anytime soon, I've been putting a lot of my content online. So I have a lot of courses around body positivity, you know, how to stand in your power. And I'm actually thinking about, and this was one of the things I was thinking about on my run today, that I'm going to start offering Zoom public classes so that people Ooh. can, yeah. A lot of people have been asking me and I'm thinking like, why not? I love teaching. I've had so much positive feedback about how people have come to peace with their bodies based on the messaging that I've done with my teaching and the accessible uh, and inclusive way that I teach. So I, maybe it's time to put a couple of zoom classes up, you know, and have live classes. I mean, you can always practice with me online. I'm also on like yoga international. Like you can see all of that on my website and you can check out my YouTube channel, but maybe it's time to have a live class and maybe foster some of these conversations around how we show up in our bodies and how we show up in the world and how we stand in our power and how that is all facilitated by modern postural yoga and yoga philosophy. Maybe it's time to do something like that live and in person on zoom i'll be there i will be let there me too. know mm -hmm. <laughs> send me the zoom link <laughs> stay tuned on my on my social medias and i'll be posting on my website but yeah these were these were my aha moments on my job today i'm like huh maybe i'll do that and that's another thing i love about that you know being physical i can you know i can have these creative moments when i'm not tethered to other things and i can just be in my body mm, i love that this has been such a treat i learned so much from you. And I never heard that perspective about honoring your ancestors through the current body that you're in. And I really love that because I, I never thought about it that way. And I think especially for Black people, it's a very helpful perspective because we've been able to persevere so much. Um, and yeah, that really that was an aha moment for me when you were saying that. So thank you so much. And girl, send me that Zoom link. I'll be there. <laughs> All right. I will look through, guys. <laughs>
<laughs> All, All right. right. Bye, we'll Diane. Chat with you later. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep. Our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.